Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 78 movies, one cage. This is episode 81, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, from 2016. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. With us today, we have a cage expert, one of the oldest cage historian. Not, I don't know, historian's not the right word, but he's been with us since the beginning. We're finally home. We're finally on Cage Club. Welcome back, Zach Dazan. Thank you. I feel very welcome. Zach hasn't been on a Cage episode since Stolen, which I feel like came out probably November or December of last year. This is only our second new movie that we've put out an episode about since the end of January. I mean, this is... Yeah. I mean, we have we have two more that are going to come out this year, I think, at least, if not more than that, but this is an exciting time in the world of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're welcoming Zach back to Cage Club, but I have to say, Joey, welcome us back to Cage oh, Club. Well, thank you. And welcome back yourself, too. Yeah, I, it feels like a while since we've reviewed The Trust, and now, you know, as his films come out on home release, we're going to be doing them one by one, and yeah, this is great. We've been waiting for USS Indianapolis for quite some time. If I'm not mistaken, it's been pushed back theatrically like two or three times. It was and- supposed to come out in March, I think. March and then August, and yep. now here it is on on demand. So here it's we on, are. yeah, it's on Amazon and iTunes right now for ten bucks if you want to rent it. Presumably, they were still waiting for the CG to render. <sighs> yeah, I guess. I mean, the Tell budget me for this it. the budget for this movie is forty million dollars, <laughs> which seems crazy because I don't know where that money went. <laughs> how much did Cage get paid? I don't. Mm, that's a really good question. It's yeah. How much did James Remar make? Or I mean, <laughs> you know, Tom Sizemore. It's not like we've got heavy hitters anymore in this. You know, Thomas Jane, but he's barely there. But, yeah, where did the money go is what I want to know. I do want to say, now that you brought him up, because there's not a lot to talk about with James Remar in this movie, but this is a three-way reunion from The Cotton Club, which is the first five movie in Cage Club. We have James Remar back. We have Cage, obviously, and Mario Van Peebles, director of this movie, was a dancer in the Cotton Club. So we have really? this reunion that of explains so epic much. proportion. <laughs> <laughs> it's got like a, a messed up Cotton Club sort of vibe going on as far as it's like a total jumble of a movie. Yeah, I have, there's so many like random musical numbers. It feels like West Side Story at one point. The, the da- fact that he used to be a dancer actually explains so much. Yeah, we, we see the guy doing all the newest New York dances and the, the <laughs> sensations that are sweeping the nation. <laughs> this movie is set in 1945, a few weeks before the United States dropped a nuclear bomb on Japan, dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan, and the story is the story of this one ship, the USS Indianapolis, a battleship that carries the nuclear bomb from the United States over to the Philippine Sea, and then the plane picks it up and drops it on Japan. And this is also the story that Quint tells in Jaws the night before they actually sort of confront the final confrontation with Jaws, where he's talking about how you know his ship sank at sea, then he had to survive all these sharks. And so this is that movie. This is a thing that actually happened. Mm. This is a thing that at the very end of the movie, we see the survivors talking to people who are still alive, talking about their experiences and about how really just insane it was, based on a true story. I think that the, the place to start, though, Mike and Zach, too, but this is something that you know Mike and I have seen throughout Cage Club, is that Cage is at his best when the, the movie is not set in modern day, and this is set in the 40s, <laughs> and like he is killing it, especially at the end, when he's in that like 1940s sweater. I was like, yes, please, more of that. <laughs> he's, he's that kind of like otherworldly character that just, he, he doesn't, doesn't belong in reality, so I think we just assume that he belongs in another time. <laughs> 
That's that's an interesting point. It, it doesn't. <laughs> it's like it's not like he's unmistakable. That like oh, where's Nick Cage? But it's just that he's almost like a chameleon when it comes to different time and era. Like he just has that look. Like he just fits into the background no matter what decade it is and I almost do feel like he does some of his best work when it's not present day and I also feel like he does some of his best work when he's in the military and here again he's a military captain of of the USS Indianapolis and I feel like he really brings it in this movie even though the movie itself doesn't really hold up I don't feel like he's bad you know I feel like he's really doing a good job here again it's just maybe I'm just thrilled to see <laughs> a new cage movie and you know he wasn't exactly in a lot of Snowden when we saw that you know we'll get to that review when it comes out on home video but I I'm just thrilled to see him on screen and you know, strutting his stuff. Has he ever been in a time travel movie? A time travel movie? Not a time travel Well, he movie. was... Well... Well, next. Next doesn't really count. Well, next doesn't really count, but he was also in uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, which is kind of a time okay. travel movie, but he doesn't time travel. Mm. Right, right. I feel like he'd be good at that. It'd be great if National Treasure 3 was some kind of time oh, travel man. jaunt, and he needed to go back <laughs> and become his own great-great-great-grandfather or something. <laughs> Yeah, so th- this movie's not great, but he is the best part of this movie. He's sort of like Snowden. I mean, Snowden is a better movie, a more competently made movie than this. But yeah. in both movies, Cage is the best part. I there, there were times watching this movie that because I watched so many movies, because we record so many podcasts, you know, I was just sort of like taking it, not for granted, but I was just like, you know, watching the movie, taking notes. And then I would like stop myself and be like, holy shit, like, we're watching a new Cage movie. Like, this is a movie that, like, I haven't seen before with a guy that we've spent thinking about and writing about and talking about and editing and all this stuff, like, hundreds of hours with, and, you know, he's back. And, like, this is, you know, even if it's a movie that I don't love, it's still, like, a thing worth seeing because, oh, man, like, he is good in this movie. It's so funny. I would not have known that this came out this year if I wasn't told. It, it looks feels like 2004. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was telling Joey, like, you, I mean, you mentioned how we were waiting for the CGI to render, and no <laughs> kidding, because I was telling Joey, like, this opening battle sequence looks like I'm playing on my PS3. I mean, <laughs> not even your PS4. Not even a PS4. And unfortunately, in this day and age, like, it's kind of unforgivable. It's like, dude, just go buy a model at the hobby shop and, yeah. you know, put it in your bathtub. And that's, I mean, you really. <laughs> For what they're going for in this film, I don't feel like they were... They really bit off more than they can chew, but somehow they did with the visual effects. It's mm-hmm. its just... It's unfortunate, because... I'm not saying the movie would have worked if they were better, but it really hinders the film as a whole. The confusing thing is that they don't seem at all ashamed of the effects. There are these really yeah. long, long shots of like the ship going under a bridge. that, that, that like <laughs> it's just, it, just to show the size of the ship, I guess, but... like. You can tell throughout the entire shot just how CG that ship is. Yeah, I almost wondered, you know, it has like a made-for-TV vibe to it, but not like American TV or not, I mean, not because it has like a lifetime feel, but then you get Tom Sizemore like clutching his severed leg at one point. You're like, <laughs> oh, you wouldn't see that on Lifetime, but it's it's strange. It's It's got a not really made-for-movie quality about it. It almost feels like a two-part miniseries at times. Yeah. So, the, yeah, this movie, it, it came out on VOD, I want to say, a week ago, maybe? Like, sometime at the mid to end of October. It is coming out in theaters. I don't know how wide of a release, but I believe it's being released on Veterans Day, on November 11th. Mm. So, it's the Friday after Election Day. You can go see this potentially in theaters. 
it's going to be weird to see this on the big screen because I feel like you're right. Like, watching this on your TV, you could sort of, I don't know, because it feels at times like a sci-fi movie, like a the sci-fi channel movie. Like, yeah, it just... Yeah. Sharknado specifically. Yeah. Yeah, graphics-wise, yeah, as far as, like, Anaconda or Sharktopus, like, right, it fits right in that level of completion. I don't know. Like, I feel like when you have graphics, when you have CGI that it's it's ambitious and it's not all at once, it's kind of weird it, when you have CGI to that extent but that isn't that good, I feel like the way to cover that up is you sort of make the rest of the movie kind of like cheesy, like you know what kind of movie you're making, hmm. but here they're making a really serious movie about a really deadly attack that sank and something like, nine, like 897 men died, and so like it's a serious topic, it's something that really happened in real life, and you can't make a joke about it, so why are you okay with like putting this movie out with such like shoddy CGI? Yeah, I almost, I wondered about that because it was like make it almost feel like the period or you know you could cover these effects during the war scenes with you know scratches or make it look like an old film I mean there just feels like ways to cover up the fact that they're not done or something like that but you gotta kind of admire something about the idea that like this is as good as we can do so we're just gonna go for it effect kind of thing but how how do you tell the producers that that this is as good as you could do for 40 million (laughs) dollars I I mean I don't know you do it as fast as possible and then you run away (laughs) I don't know. You just you do it over the phone. It's it's tough. It's tough because like Joey said, like this is a story that deserves the respect, right? Like it yeah. deserves the respect of like a two hundred million dollar movie. But the problem is like this isn't really a story you can tell in two hours at that. Like, you know, we're dealing with a thousand men or in and at the end at least three hundred and fifty survivors or something, and it's just like how do you pick a story out of all of that, you know, they almost try and go the Titanic route where they're going to focus on sort of a love triangle between two sailors and a girl back home, and that doesn't quite work out because <laughs> the whole time on board, I just want to see what Cage is up to. Yeah. So it, it definitely would have made a great documentary. That's how I felt toward the end of the movie, especially knowing there's actually dudes alive who were part of this experience today, you know? It just felt like, man, like, yeah, it seemed like a great idea for a movie, but it's really kind of feels like too much than anyone can handle. I don't want to say like they screwed it up, but like I feel like it's a movie that you could very easily not do well and like it just wasn't executed. And I mean Mario Van Peebles this I don't think this is the first movie that he's directed. I think it did New Jack he's, City. I mean Oh he's that's directed he's I'm... directed forty things. I mean I just don't think that he's really known like what is he known for? I think he's mo- I know him mostly for New Jack City and that was like almost 30 years ago, I think. Yeah, that was 91, yeah. Yeah, and other than that, I mean, I know him just, I know his dad more for being sort of like a forerunner of the black film movement, and, you know, this was like pre-black exploitation, his dad was out there doing like sweet badass song and things like that, so I I mean, he's kind of like a generational filmmaker in that sense. This movie also doesn't really get a lot, I don't think, from its screenwriters, and what's weird about its screenwriters for this is the two guys who wrote this movie were both producers on Rage, a.k.a. Tokarev, which is another Cage movie, which is, you know, one of Cage's worst (laughs) movies. We'll reference the end of that later. And so, yeah, and so to have two guys who helped create one of the probably... It's not like one of the worst worst, but like one of the 10 or 15 worst Cage movies to be like, all right, you two guys write this movie about this really important historic event. Well, all right, okay. 
That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned this was based on a novel. I wonder what the if there was sort of like a you know a scramble for the rights to that novel, or if there are other books about this out there and other films you know in production. Because this feels like something Hollywood would want to make, and it's just strange that like these people with no money and not a lot of experience and not very much success at that either are in control of this property in the first place. It's It just seems like something that more money would want to be behind. Yeah, it's based on this novel in harm... Well, not novel. I mean, it's based on a book, that, you know, a, a, re- a retelling of the story uh, called In Harm's Way, The Sinking of the USS Indianapolis and the Extraordinary Sur- Story of Its Survivors. It's, it's weird in that this is the story that Quint tells in Jaws because... Until this summer, when I finally saw Jaws again, knowing that this movie was a thing, I didn't really put two and two together. And I think Zach and I were talking about this before we started recording, about how you can hear that story and you sort of know that he has, like, experience with sharks. But, like, this is, like, an important thing that's had, you know, roots in cinema, at least, for, like, 40 years, right? It feels like if it's going back that far, and this is, a like, you know, a huge event that really helped change the course of history, and it's been 70 years sort of since it happened, you would think that, like, there'd be other... I don't know, you're right. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. you, you sort of wish that it was bigger? You sort of wish that maybe other other people had their shot to make it? I don't know. Hmm. I don't think that the acting is bad. I don't think anybody across the board is bad in this movie. I think that it's just assembling everything after the fact is where this movie kind of runs into some problems. I also get the sense that, like, at the end of this movie, we kind of get the sense that this entire incident was covered up to a large degree. You know, even until I heard this movie was coming out, you know, I might be sounding naive, but that story Quint tells in Jaws, I wasn't entirely sure that wasn't fiction, you know, that that wasn't just created for a story to compare scars and stuff. So it really wasn't until recently delving deeper into that that I even knew that this was actually happened. You know, I didn't know that a bomb was delivered in secret to the Enola Gay to drop off you know, and, de- and all that stuff. I, did, I didn't even realize that whole mission and everything was happening. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that people don't know about this story, uh, that it, it was never made or picked up. And it's kind of strange because this movie is being covered up in ways, too. <laughs> you know, that's how it feels. It feels like it's out there, but they're not dying for you to see it. It just... Because it, even us at Cage Club, like, we've been tracking this film, and then Joey is just like, hey, I think... USS Indianapolis is on demand. And I was like, yeah, okay. And it, it just <laughs> snuck out. I get the cage alerts. I get a Google alert every day about Nicolas Cage. And, like, some people were reviewing this. Like, I do. There's not a lot. They sort okay. of condense it. It's, it's weird. But, you know, there's a couple people writing reviews about it. So I figured it was close, but I hadn't heard anything about it. And then a friend of mine said, hey, what's this new Cage movie on iTunes? And I was like, wait, what? Like, what do you... <laughs> And he said, yeah, USS Indianapolis. And I said, hold on a minute. For two people who basically, this is what we do in our free time, you know, aside from just watching movies, we read about movies, we talk about movies. I mean, this is a thing that Mike and I have been tracking, like he said, and it just came out of nowhere. I don't, I honestly don't, I, I don't know the date that it came on iTunes or came on Amazon because it just sort of like snuck in there. They were trying to drop it like Beyonce's album. <laughs> well, I think they're trying to drop it like the bomb on Hiroshima, like they're just <laughs> oh. sneaking it out there. Oh, <laughs> very <laughs> meta. I like that. <laughs> So yeah, I did. I haven't seen Jaws since I was a young teenager, so I didn't remember this story at all. So I was completely taken uh, taken by surprise by the shark angle. They were they had just delivered the bomb, and it had been like twenty minutes into the movie, and I was like, "Wait, there ca- that there can't be. This has me another angle to this movie." And then this guy's giving this five minute monologue about what sharks are, and I'm like, uh, "Oh, you don't need to swim because if you go in the drink, the jab don't get you here." 
the sharks will. Sharks, sir. See, si, senor, the great white shark, very top of the food chain. No natural enemies. It's an ancient killer left over from a dinosaur age when there was still a big food supply in the water. Go that way, you guys. Now, up on the land, by some evolutionary accident, we developed these big brains, and uh, we invented weapons. So we got used to being at the top of the food chain, but once you step in that salt water, right back to the bottom of the food chain. Even if you swim well, we look pathetic to sharks. They think we're wounded, split up the middle, you know? Five rows of dagger-like teeth and jaws that can bend steel. But apparently we're not good eating. Of course, they don't know that until they spread us up pretty good. We're bleeding everywhere and uh, nothing turns the shark on more. Their blood. Yeah. yeah, that Tom Sizemore speech, it does kind of just come out of nowhere. One guy's like, I thought I joined the army, but I joined the navy, and I don't know how to swim. And he's like, you don't have to swim unless they're shocked or something. And to be quite honest, I was like, are they trying to sort of portray the Quint character through Tom Sizemore's character in a way? Because <laughs> he's almost like Popeye-esque in that manner and, you know, true sailor through and through and that whole that whole thing, but Sizemore doesn't end up surviving. For all of his know-how about sharks, you know, one gets his leg and he bleeds out. <laughs> well, I feel like somebody, I feel like I heard the word Quint in this movie, but I might have just been wishful hearing. Like, I don't <laughs> think that anybody in this movie is actually called Quint, oh, but I feel like somebody so was called Quint. Oh, well, I man. definitely expected a nod. It's because, you know, dur- it's during the shark attacks, we even get the cello doing sort of like the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun kind of stuff. Like, it's not quite Jaws, but, like, they've got bassy string instruments doing the music during that time. So they're trying to be like, um, you know, maybe this isn't quite working. Let's make them think of Jaws during this time or something. (laughs) I was thinking of Jaws for sure. That's for sure. So going back a step to, like, you know, talking about sharks and everything... This movie, and this is something we've yelled at a lot of movies about recently, it's so, so, so tells and doesn't show. It's like, let's talk about suicide bombers, and let's talk about sharks, and let's talk about this, and let's talk about that. And before the movie's able to surprise you with anything that happens, you know that, like, they're talking about sharks, there's going to be sharks in the sea. You know that there are these Japanese, the Kaitens, the Kaitens, who, they're just like these manned suicide bombers, and they're talking about how that's changed the course of history. Not only that, but we see inside the Japanese sub, we see them, like, releasing the guys. And so, like, nothing about this movie that could have been suspenseful really is. Like, I feel like if you're picking up on any of the clues, even if you don't know the story, you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. At one point, you see, I think, Cage or maybe some other guys through jaws of a shark hanging on the ship or something. Yep. And the camera, you see them framed in that. And it's like, oh, okay, like, that's what's coming. They have zero respect for the audience whatsoever. I agree. I think aside from maybe one uh, Cage voiceover, which I only liked because I'll, I mean, it's not a good use of voiceover, but I loved it because it was just him walking on the deck in slow motion, and then his voiceover was like exposition. It was basically like, this is our ship. Here's who I am. This is our mission. Here's what we're going to do. You know, like, we have no escort. It was just like, this is the rest of the movie. My second note, I knew this from like five minutes in, was dialogue so, so awful. <laughs> the Indianapolis is a heavy cruiser designed to take out enemy ships and aircraft. But our guns are useless against submarines. That's why, normally, we are sent out with an escort of destroyers in front of us that act as blockers 
Their job is to detect and destroy enemy subs with depth charges before they can get to us. Many of the crew are mere boys, with no idea of the danger we face out here at sea. If we are fired upon by an enemy sub, and if, miraculously, we spot it early enough, we have at maximum four minutes before the torpedo arrives. Our main defense is to get the ship watertight, point station zebra, so any hull rupture doesn't spread and sink us. For this secret mission, we are in effect a glorified postal service, delivering two packages with no protection. But mine is not to reason why. For the rest of the movie, you're right. Like Cage is sort of doing these voiceovers, but they're in letters to his wife, and it's like he's explaining, like you know, um, we're always going to be at war. Like I'm going to war. War is what I do. You know, war is life. It, it, yeah, it's super on the nose and hits you way over the head as hard as possible. There will always be war until we kill off our own species. The difference between us and them is that we want to do our duty and then go home. The man who flew his kamikaze plane into the bow of our ship knew he wasn't going home. He was on a suicide mission, using his body as ammunition. God help all of us when we face an enemy like that. In a few days, it's my birthday. My best gift would be just to see you again, my dear Louise. And I definitely get that in those other scenes, like, before they're shipping out and they have, like, a back backroom brawl and, like, they're fighting over girls and stuff. Like, all that stuff just feels way heavy-handed and, you know, look, it's the 40s. Look how people used to act in the 40s. It, it just felt very fake in a way. Everything was, yeah, very over-the-top in terms of style. Uh, I, I keep coming back to this musical number in the beginning, <laughs> uh, which felt like something out of... Did you guys see the, the movie musical Reefer Madness? No. no. I know uh, of it. It's really great, actually. Awesome watching. But uh, it felt like straight out of that movie, which is totally inconsistent with a military drama. And it kind of <laughs> it kind of felt like like they didn't bother having like a, a look for the movie so much as uh, a look for a scene. Uh, you know, like, this scene is a, is a is a musical number what's the best way to do a musical number and so they just kind of like went out of like the musical director's handbook for that one scene and then they went to like the drop the 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 drop dramatic uh, military handbook for the dramatic military scenes yeah they didn't bother having an overarching style and i feel like that's just the director not knowing how to tell a story right like it's <laughs> it's there's there's no there's no vision there's no anything here. It's just mm. we know what we need to do. And I feel also like just like the the, the timing of everything is off. Like because mm-hmm. we're we don't really get on the ship for a while. Like there's the dancing stuff. There's the almost proposing stuff. There's all these different things. You know, it's Cage talking about like past experiences, talking about how he lost nine men and about how that was too many men to die and all this different stuff. And there's so much time before we get on the ship. And then I feel like we're on the ship, and then within, like, it must be, like, within five or ten minutes, like, the, the package is delivered. Like, we basically go mm. around, and nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows that they're just under control of the president. But we deliver the package, and then 45 minutes into the movie, the ship sinks. Yeah. And we still have an hour, like, 25? There's just so much time left. Like, I feel like the most energy in this movie is when Cage is on deck 
in sunglasses, just sort of walking around, <laughs> barking orders at people. Like, that's where this movie is at its best. And maybe it's just because oh, yeah. they're showing him sort of taking control of the movie and, like, elevating the material. Suddenly you're in the water and everybody's split up and Cage is by himself for a while and nothing really gels from that point on. And then you're in yeah. the water for a while and then you're out of the water and there's still half an hour of the movie left. And it's like, wait, what's... Like, if they're rescued, like, where what's left to talk about? Mm-hmm. And then it's like the trial. It's There's just weird <laughs> decisions in terms of what we're going to devote attention to. It could have been three movies or, like, a miniseries or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the miniseries would have been the way to go here on HBO or something like that. And Joey, you're right. Like we've seen this before, where and recently too, where it's just like, why are you focusing on certain story plot points and aspects when it's like not? I don't feel like the movie is about that. It's weird that they have like all this time dedicated to the sailors and the love story. Like I understand we want to get to know these guys because we're going to see them get torn apart by sharks and stuff, but we never do. They never land any emotion or any sort of characterization of these guys aside from, "Hey, I'm from New York" or like yeah. "I'm well to do." And it's just everything is or like the one guy with glasses, like "I'm a gambler." It's yeah. just like everything nothing really has time to sink in. Well, it's simultaneously skin deep and hammered hard. They never get deeper than one one note about these people but that's they talk about it way too much yeah, I, I, feel, yeah. I feel like every character they, they, they do their one line over and over again and, and also I don't know if was the casting was super generic or I'm developing face blindness or what oh no no no, you're, not you're, no I, I, I don't know what exactly what you're about to say but I, I'm pretty sure I agree with you on all fronts but go ahead <laughs> I couldn't tell anyone apart I, yeah, yeah me neither me neither well because like <laughs> the whole like the big I guess emotional investment in this movie aside from Cage writing letters to his wife is that there's this guy... And honestly, I have no idea. Like, I watched this movie yesterday. I don't know who anybody is. One's Antonio, one's Bama, I think. But one guy knocks up a girl and then dies in on the ship. And then his buddy marries the girl. And he's like, you don't even need to love me. Like, let me just be there for you. It's like, whoa, okay, that's strange. But, like, they could have been the same guy. Like, I don't know any yeah. way to tell... Like, I, I, yeah. I think the other problem... And it's not necessarily a problem, because I don't know that this is necess- like the fix that I'm about to suggest is going to work or it's what I want, but aside from you know Cage and Sizemore and James Remar, we're pretty much dealing with unknown actors, I think, and mm-hmm. I don't know if a movie you know going in a direction like a Gary Marshall movie, like a Mother's Day or something, where you know everybody on screen is the way to do things. I don't know if you want to be filled with 15 or 20 dudes that you know on board. But I feel like if you're like, oh, there's Channing Tatum with this girl at the beginning, and then Channing Tatum dies, and then Shia marries her at the end, like, at least we know, okay, those are two actors that I know, and I see what their story is. That's Here, like, there's just so much time in between for these guys that basically are interchangeable. They're all wearing the same thing. I hate saying that, because, like, these are real people. Like, these are real stories. Yeah. There's no distinguishing features. It feels like every guy... It feels like there's ten guys in this movie who want to, like, propose to their girlfriends. Like, <laughs> yes. There are, there are in multiple the people who are, like, concerned with rings and cost of rings, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's why? crazy. It's crazy. Because, and, you like, know, I, they're also all big fans of Wayne Gretzky. Oh, God. Well, well, <laughs> let's hold off on that. I want to get to okay. that in a minute. But let's, let's figure out this engagement thing. Joey, I mean, we've had this issue in Keanu Club, too, with, like guys and girls and here it, again it's like I yeah I can't tell anyone apart and I don't think the idea is to 
represent them, you know, as a unit or as a crew no. either. Because that doesn't work at all either. I don't even get the sense that a lot of these guys even have each other's back, which is so strange when the shit hits the fan and suddenly, you know, like everybody has always been best friends with each other. It's just strange. Like everybody is acting a certain way because the movie's like, okay, right now these guys need to be mad at each other. Or right now these guys need to be happy with each other. Yada yada. It's just it's it's strange. Everything just feels like really forced uh, and that's too bad because I just think if we had I, I was going to use the same two examples but like if we just had one or two known actors in this role like a, like a Channing Tatum or something that would have helped with all of this shorthand storytelling because we yeah. could identify with at least one of these younger guys I think it just wasn't done with heart or passion by either the writers directors or the actors it, it, it felt as though someone especially the writer perhaps was looking at, like once again, the handbook of how do you make somebody invest in somebody who's going to die? And they're like, oh, give them a backstory, okay. And then like just they just like wrote this like first draft backstory. I, I think it's <laughs> really, the whole thing just feels like a first draft. Like the only thing they cut was the part was like fill in, change later, make the bank better. And then all of a sudden, it's the night before shooting, and they haven't gone back and <laughs> fleshed out the backstories. It's like, no, we're stuck with this. Yeah. I feel what's also frustrating. Like, we keep bringing up Channing Tatum, but like we know how good of a sailor he is from Hail Caesar. Like. Just throw him on that ship. Just let him yeah. dance around. I don't care. Like, I don't even care if it Great makes sense. Too. There's dancing in this movie. There's sailors in this movie. Just get Channing in there. Like, I don't care. Just get him in there. Can't afford him. Oh, so, okay. Man. Mike found other examples of this, but there is one line that I typed to Zach on Facebook while I was watching this movie that there's two generic boys before they get on board. <laughs> and I think they're the ones... I think that might be Antonio and Bama. I think, maybe. Like, Could be anyone. the guy... I, whatever. It doesn't matter who they are. But this movie takes place in 1945, as we've discussed. They say to each other, in unison, like it's a line that everybody at this time knows, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Which is a phrase, a very famous phrase today, but that was coined by Wayne Gretzky, who started his NHL career, I think, in the 70s? <laughs> so, I mean, we're at least 30 years early on this. Unless they're implying that Gretzky took it off somebody else, but, like, the way that they say it, it's like they say it to each other all the time. You miss 100% of the shots, shots that you don't take. Yeah, I know. They make such a thing of it. it oh, they did, God. Like, they didn't expect us to, to read into it when they make a big thing of it. Yeah, like, well, it made it sound like the second guy had heard the first guy say it a lot of times and was kind of <laughs> just sick of it. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I know what you're about to say. But, yeah, I, that, that does sound like something that a World War II veteran would be like, yeah, I said this great thing, and fucking Wayne Gretzky stole it from me. <laughs> I mean, that's the writers must be huge hockey fans or something. <laughs> Honestly, what probably happened, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but, like, they probably just had, like, a Gretzky motivational poster on their wall about, like, how to write screenplays. And it's like, well, you miss you miss 100% of the screenplays you don't write. And they're just like, you know, they're like, let's just, like, throw that in there. And then they're like, oh, no. No, we got that in the final cut of the movie. Yeah, that's like when, uh, didn't Sizemore have a line, hang in there, kitten cat poster? <laughs> you know, the, kid, the kitty cat poster just says, hang in there. Didn't Sizemore say, hang in there? He coined that. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, Melania Trump said all this first. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it is strange, though. Like, I, 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 now that you mentioned it, I, didn't, I mean, I'm not a sports guy, so like, but I knew that quote, and I just didn't put it together. I thought you guys were saying they actually said, hey, you remember Wayne Gretzky, like, by name? or something but now that you said no but that would would only be like slightly worse than this yes it's basically (laughs) as bad yeah because it's as if he's reading it off like money or something you know like as if it's something that Churchill coined or something yeah 
it was it is very strange. But Mike, did you notice anything else that was out of the time? I don't really have anything technically written down in my notes. I just got a very bad sense of period altogether, like out of crafting the time period. I mean, we've seen a lot of war movies. I mean, even Wind Talkers takes place like around this time. Right. And I'd say, you know, John Woo would have done a good job probably directing this has a lot of stuff that like could have gone the way of wind talkers as far as like spectacle and like emotional stakes and stuff like that but uh, i don't know i mean i just got the sense that it didn't feel like the time period to me i mean when they're on the battleship and stuff it feels like it's parked somewhere and they're just shooting on it and they're trying not to film like the street or what's behind it (laughs) you know like i don't know i just didn't get the sense that everything was very period realistic for the most I part. Th- I mean, we do spend most of it on the ship. They don't really have to craft the world that well, but even still, I didn't really feel like I was entirely submerged in that era. I feel like a lot of it was color correction. I feel like they just put this very basic, very modern color correction on everything that just didn't transport that, you at all. That could be, too. Yeah, it was very clean and crisp, like it was shot with like you know a 4K camera or something, too. So that, 5D yeah. Mark II. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say this as gospel, because I don't remember, but the fact that I don't remember leads me to believe that they didn't do this. But I feel like it's really easy to sort of convey a different era, especially World War II, with music cues and just sort of have, like, very bombastic... You know, like, there's a certain type of music, and I can't describe it, but, like, you, when you, you when you hear it, you know it's, like, wartime, you know, the greatest generation. And the fact that I don't remember anything like that from this movie, like, it's sort of a shortcut, but, like, use that to your advantage. If anything, I felt like it was the 20s, which is still wrong. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> they just overcompensated. <laughs> No, I hear you there, Joey, too. Like, I, the music, I was just completely underwhelmed entirely. I was expecting some kind of, like, grandiose pageantry or something, you know, something with, like, lots of horns and brass and some John Philip Sousa shit going on here. But, like, we don't really get any of that vibe uh, as far as I could tell, you know. They, and that, you're right, that would have been a very quick shortcut to get your mind set in the time period. But instead, they're like, no, we're going to reference, like, this dance or like, I don't even know where they go with that stuff. Like, they, that's the other thing, too. It's like their their references for the period are just, like, bizarre. I mean, I don't even know. Everybody knows that dance. I think it was, the Lindy, <laughs> there was the Lindy Hop, I think. Going back a little bit, Mike, you are right. The, the ship they used that they shot on was docked in Mobile, Alabama. Oh my so God. it's clearly, they didn't bring it out to the water. I think they shot the water scenes somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. So, I mean, the, the water scenes could have basically been on a studio somewhere. Like, they, they just have, like, enough open water to, like, show people. Like, it, the, there's nothing yeah. visually spectacular about those, but the ship was docked in Mobile, and actually it was the same battleship that they used in the Steven Seagal vehicle under siege. So uh, it's huh. it's a it's a very historic vessel. It's the USS Alabama. My favorite stuff was when the ship was going down. I, I actually thought for the, all the flaws this movie had and everything, they really managed to sort of do that well or better than I was expecting. Let's just say that. Like, I don't ever get the shark feeding frenzy that I was really hoping for, but this sort of, you know, second... Ren Titanic moment when the ship splits in half and everyone's on fire and Cage gets sort of exploded off the ship and everything. I kind of felt like, for the most part, that was pretty well done. You know, we got, like, guys on fire and all that, and they look like they're really on fire. So maybe that's where most of the money went, is all of the interior of the USS Indianapolis and, like, dressing it and destroying it and all that kind of thing. Because you're right, when we get to them just out in the open water, it's very... Visually, it's very 
bland and unappealing. You know, the most really boring just, part of the movie by far. Yeah, and that is so yeah. impossibly hard to do. You have no sense of scale. I mean, there's like at least three different groups of people. There's one group that's two and a half miles away. There's a group that's a mile west of them. And then there's the cage group, which is just on screen. She says, south of the other groups. Like, we have no idea how close or far he is. <laughs> I'm like He's building a map them. in my head. Yeah, but what's, really, what's, me too. What's and I'm pausing that, the like, subtitles because the subtitles are on screen for like two seconds. And so oh. I'm like pausing him going, wait, what? And then the information on the sub- I'm like, that's too much information for a subtitle. This needs to this ship is- with like one of those like like Lord of the Rings maps so you can be like, you know, like in the, yeah. of the book where you're just like, hmm, oh, okay, that's where they are. What's also weird about when they're on the water is that it just you never get a sense that like sharks are close, which is mm, weird, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you get that one great shot of Cage underwater, and the shark kind of swims right next to him. Not I only you get that, that shot, great. but you get that shot twice. They show that shot twice <laughs> in the movie. That's true. You do, yeah. But they knew they it was needed a good to pad shot. it out to two hours ten minutes. They didn't. They didn't have enough time. They're like, that's our best shot. We got to show that shot again. <laughs> shark effects by Edge Innovations. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really get, like, any build-up or any, like, there's no tension, there's no suspense, like, none of that is really crafted, it's just like, whoop, there goes one guy, and like, whoop, there's another guy, and I'm like, whoop, whoop, there's another guy, and they just sort of get, like, picked off here and there, Yeah, and yeah. it's not even about the shark attack, it's, like, mostly about guys in rafts, like, bleeding out, and <laughs> dying, and waiting. Yeah. It didn't feel like anything different was happening as time went on. You know, like, it didn't feel like they were really running out of rations like they said they did. You know, it, 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 I had no sense of time, so, like, the middle, like, hour was just interminable because it was just like, oh, shit, they're fucked, and then, like, 30 minutes later, oh, shit, they're still fucked, like, in the exact same way, and I, there was just no growth or change. Yeah, it's just that there's less people on screen, but, like, they're yeah. all people that we don't know. So it's not like we're invested in these people that were like, oh, no, he can't die, because there's, there's like, I feel like all of a sudden there's just, like, a raft full of troublemakers. And like, we, don't, <laughs> yes. we don't know why they're troublemakers. They're like, you stay over there, troublemakers. And, like, that's what they say. Like, that's, like, a line <laughs> in the movie, and then we just never come back to them. I think they were just black people and they were being racist. Oh, yeah, the but, whole, like, there's, like, a whole black subplot in this movie. Yeah. Where they're at the movie theater early on, then we cut up to the balcony where they're up there, and then we see them, like, one shot on the ship. And, like, there's nothing... That they're, they're not saying anything about that. They're just like, right. oh, they were here too, is basically also, what it feels like. Also, there were supposed to be like 1,500 people out there, and it really felt like there were 12 the entire time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I, I'm saying, because there's, there's 900 people, 900 men survive the ship, being, the ship sinking. So right. you should see so many people. So and many. I don't think you've ever seen more than like maybe like 15 or 18 on screen at a time, and even that number might be high. Yeah. So I always felt like, yeah, yeah, there could have been such great opportunities to show what happens when that many people are all lost together. Yeah, I mean, you, there's just no scope to this movie. They just don't have the resources because you need to, you know, CGI duplicate, you know, over and over, like hundreds of guys in that water. And there needs to be, like, where's the scene at night that I was waiting for to be, like, one of the most shocking and scary sequences is, like... I was waiting for it to be pitch black at night and just guys screaming in fear that, you know, they're getting picked off one by one by sharks. And it's pitch black and, you know, all these guys are just screaming like help, whatever, like panic, you know. But we don't even, we don't get that. We don't get anything close to that, really. I mean, we get Tom Sizemore clutching his severed leg and screaming for his mom, (laughs) but like... Is that supposed to represent, you know, a thousand guys and what they were going through? Uh, that 
that really kind of bummed me out. Yeah, I was like, oh, so like 50 guys survived this crash? And then at the end, it's like, no, like over 300 guys survived. Yeah. Like, well, I just did not pick up on that. Doubly shameful, I feel like. If they had shot something at night, it would have probably saved them money and made the effect look yeah. more realistic. Because there's 900 people who survive, and the first two days, 200 people die each day in real life. And then another Damn. 100 die the third day. So there are so many opportunities to show the horrors of what this really was. And I feel like that's the biggest slap in the face, is that because it doesn't really capture what went on, it's hard to really... That's not, it's not I want to say it's like hard to sympathize, but like they're not really showing the plight of what these guys go through. Like It seems like the worst thing that they have to deal with is running out of food and yelling at each other, which I'm sure was terrible. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really seem that hungry. No, and like you know, it, it seems like a couple hundred people died. Like they, they show the numbers at the very end of the movie of like how many people survived and how many people got died here and there and whatever. And it feels like a couple hundred people died just of you know running out of food and maybe probably dehydration and stuff. And we don't see that. Like we don't see them really struggling for food. We right. don't see any of that kind of stuff. They're just like all cr- basically they're all cranky. Like it almost feels they're like angry. they're on vacation. Just like upset with each other, like it just there's nothing like it, it doesn't feel life or death at all. No, yeah, and if we had had one scene of a feeding frenzy, like you know, just people, just it would be nonstop. If I have two hundred people a day, like it would just be red water. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, like <laughs> the water is like floating by. Yeah, yeah, body parts floating and bobbing and stuff. And like, there's not even that scene where the guy goes and he thinks he recognizes his friend, and then he grabs him, and then it's just the top half of him. Like we don't even get right. that scene. You know, like no, no we, cannibalism. Right. No, even, like we, drowning each other for their last. Yeah. Morsel, like they really. Right. There's just like we're coming up with all these little things they could have just yeah. done reshoots for and pumped this <laughs> up, like just. I mean, there's a thousand, a thousand people. At least one person must have tried one of these things. You know, like yeah. holy crap! Like unless they were all such honorable people, but maybe they were. All we got instead was like that one asshole guy, like being like, "Well, I get the raft instead of you." Yeah, and that that also comes across where it feels like they were being too respectful in a sense like they didn't want to air any dirty laundry or they didn't want anyone to come off like um like unpatriotic or whatever you know i I don't know if they actually the end of this is insane but we're we're still gonna get there uh just just consider it just in the sense of how people were portrayed um it just kind of takes a jarring turn right there at the end but i it's just i feel like they pulled too many punches like they really needed more grit grime and like hard R to this. Like, it's a bunch of fucking guys on a boat in the middle of the sea on a secret mission. Like, there needs to be more adrenaline going on in this movie or something. There there needs to be better villains. There needs to be better... And because even the sharks, like, you know, I don't say any of the motivation of the shark, but, like, maybe, like, a a point of view shot that would have showed how, like, the shark thinks you're a seal right now. Or, like, I want to know, like, what conditions make the shark go after you? Or at least people conjecturing about what makes the shark go after you. Instead, it was just kind of like, I'm safe, I'm on the raft, I'm it was, it was kind of hard to tell what behavior would put them at risk. There are 120 to 150 sharks in that water, and we don't really get a sense of that at all. We don't get a sense of like what the sharks think, like Zach's saying. We don't get a sense of like how many there are. It just seems like there's just sharks around. And I feel like we don't... We only, the, re- the only reason that we know sharks are around is because people are bleeding and getting pulled underwater, and people are talking about sharks. Like, we don't really... See, like, for a movie about sharks, we don't really see sharks. Yeah, yeah. no... That's, yeah, and you know what would have been a great use of a shark to give you the sense of sort of geography of where everyone is sort of spread out in this ocean if you sort of just took one shot of the shark sort of circling around one raft and then we follow that shark 
under the ocean and and you know come back up around like Nick Cage's raft and then you know swim away. I mean, just to give us the sense of where everyone is, like just use a shark for filmmaking for the sense of filmmaking, just to give us a sense. Like put a GoPro on a shark and just <laughs> let us know where everyone is in the ocean. Like they really missed a lot of opportunities with the sharks to craft a villain. You know, because even the Japanese guys, like they're supposed to be the bad guy, but they're barely in this. They fire the torpedo and then they're like out of it and then the one guy shows up at the end at the trial like what was that that was so bizarre but yeah yeah, Yeah. it totally lacked like a like that threat like when they were in the ocean with the sharks i was like so what they are more of a threat to each other than the sharks are to them i don't feel like that's the movie that they were selling i feel like you know i was expecting red water by the end of this movie and it just the, didn't get that the shark attacks felt essentially random and it almost felt like the characters kind of understood that because they would just be in the sh- in the in the water and a shark would swim right by them and they wouldn't react and i feel like there, there, it happened several times they'd be like they just didn't notice that a shark was right next to them and of course the reality was that they were just shooting b-roll and, and like the editor was like add a shark there you know like and of course <laughs> there wasn't a re- wasn't a reaction it felt so random that I, that i couldn't build any suspense you know, like you know, like when in a horror movie, you know, like they go off and they're they're having sex in the woods, and you're like, "Don't do that! You're gonna get killed!" Like we, you have a kind of a sense of like what gets you killed in a horror movie. We didn't have a sense of what gets you killed in the shark movie. We do get a sense of what gets you killed by submarines, though, which is yes. not zigzagging. Right, zigzagging is apparently the only way to survive. Apparently, a crime not to do it. What's frustrating, I feel, is that the most effective this movie is at sort of displaying this tragedy comes at the very end of the movie that the first thing is that they show the newspaper and above the fold on top of the newspaper they show that the bomb was dropped on Nagasaki and that there's you know we're we're days away from winning the war and then buried at the bottom of the front page is about like this battleship sinks hundreds of men die and that's incredibly depressing I mean I understand that you know it wasn't millions of people who died it was just hundreds but it's hundreds of men who we sort of kind of got to know through this movie and who gave their lives to help end the war right and they're just an afterthought like it almost wasn't doesn't that matter wasn't that the point wasn't that the point that they were trying to bury the story well I mean but still like that's the most depressing thing of all yes. and then the other thing is Cage is put on trial because he endangered these men they sort of railroaded him right that because like yeah. It's a secret yeah. mission. They say that, you know, he was never docked. And, like, they have, like, this whole, like... They, they almost don't rescue the guys because, like, this is such, like, a classified right. mission. Yeah, and, they need a scapegoat. Yeah, and that's Cage. And that, you know, he faces a couple different charges, and he's found not guilty of one. But apparently in those olden days, like, what you're found guilty of, they don't read out loud. And so... I'm glad they found... told us that instead of showing it. They, yeah. really, they really made a line <sighs> of it. But they found he was found guilty of not zigzagging, and he goes outside and talks to that Japanese submarine commander, and they both share like the humanity about like we both did terrible things, but like I hope that we're okay to like to forgive each other. After like an hour and fifty minutes of just no message really, no point, they sort of hit on two things pretty effectively in ten minutes. It almost feels like it doesn't matter because they just spent so much time not doing that that to have this like at the very end. It, yeah, it's a it's effective and it's you know depressing and disheartening and it sets up the very last thing that happens or one of the very last things that happens. I don't know. It just feels like it's too little, too late. Yeah, yeah, and and this is clear example of focusing on the wrong thing for the wrong movie. I feel like 
this is the movie they wanted to make. Like, they wanted to make the movie about what happened after. Right. It almost feels like the movie comes alive in the last half hour. Oh, yeah. Even though, like, it could have ended when Thomas Jane showed up with his seaplane and started saving everybody. Like, it could have just ended there. But they go the Peter Jackson route, you know, and they're like, let's tag on, like, one or two more extra endings here. I'm kind of glad they did that in this this case because, like, even though it's like confusing and strange and it's like why is cage being blamed and all this like i get the sense that everybody is like excited about what they're doing now <laughs> like we're telling this this part of the story like this is the this is the stuff i like you know i'm Maybe pretending to be first. the filmmaker i'm trying pretending to be the producer like finally yeah. we're getting to the good stuff the last half hour it's kind of bittersweet that you know the movie comes alive here during this whole trial sequence and yet like it just feels like it's not even necessary in the first place did it feel like they didn't really explain what happens when he gets a guilty verdict? What were the I think the implication is, well, he got court-martialed, so he gets cleared of one charge, but not the other. And I think but, the implication is he is going to go to jail for that. But they never say anything like that out loud. And I think the bottom line is he's just a completely disgraced captain now in the yeah. public eye. And I think it's that just dishonorably discharged, maybe? Probably. Something along those lines. But I think for Cage for the captain that he's playing the character like his life is basically over because he'll never be captain of another vessel and probably like he's just known as a national disgrace for everyone just thinks it's his fault that's like bad enough we see him after he's back and like he's got ptsd or at least like really vivid terrible nightmares about this time spent on the ocean where the he, phone ringing. Yeah, the phone ringing, but like he's like tackled from his bed into the water. Like it's crazy. Like that's a kind of a cool visual thing yeah. that just is missing yeah. throughout the entire rest of the movie. Well done. And the, the phone is ringing, and I feel like even if before we know, I'm not sure where in the chronology that falls if it's before or after the verdict. But I feel like you know, even if he's found not guilty of everything, like he's still not going to be able to live with himself. And then he is found guilty of at least one or two things. He's just unable to go on, and he kills himself. Yeah. Yeah. Cage kills himself for the second time? Aside from Rage Tokarev, like, was, is this the first time that he killed himself? As far as I can remember, I think this is the first, like, I'm going to put the gun to my head and blow my brains out scene that we've got from Cage, right? I'm pretty sure. I mean, look, I was such in shock when that happened because I was not expecting him to to kill himself. I mean, like, I knew things were bad and I knew, like, I just didn't think they were going to go there in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't think it was going to be, like, the second to last shot where he stands up with a loaded gun with his back to the camera and blam! It just, I, like, jumped. I was like, whoa, why? (laughs) Why is this here? All of a sudden, like, it's, it was nuts. It was nuts. Something about the timing almost seemed insensitive. I don't, yeah, there was, I don't know. It was just kind of like, ha-ha, now he's, and now it's dead and we're done. No more movie. Gone. It was like a very strong period to the end of a sentence, you know? It was like, blam, the end. I was just shocked. I I did not expect that to happen. I was was really, and I was loving Cage this film too, so like he's the only one I was sad to see die this entire movie. And I was like, oh, thank God he survived the shark attack. He's going to live through the whole movie. And then, well, right at the end, he gets it. Well, it's mainly because his wife died, right? Who, which is another, like, tell-not-show situation. Like, he tells us so many times how much he loves his wife, who pretty much appears in one scene to, like, ask if he's okay. Yeah, yeah, and then he's like, she passed away, so 
I might as well pass away too. I don't know. The, yeah, they didn't show like the emotional journey of him like falling apart. That could have been really fascinating. There are two quotes that I want to bring up from this movie that we didn't talk about yet that I liked, and I'm gonna let Zach do one because I know that he loves it even more than I do. Uh, but there's one that I. It's just the way that it's said. It's goofy. They're on the plane because there's a couple times that the planes are flying over the shipwreck, and they don't. There's there's no ship above water, so it's just guys in an open ocean. But we never, like, really see that. Like, they're, they're always saying, like, oh, it's impossible to see these guys because there's it's just the open ocean down there. But we never really get a sense of that, I don't think. But they finally, at the end, or toward the end, a, a plane finally sees them. And before they land on the water, like their Chesley Sully Sullenberger, they say, we are <laughs> flying over hundreds of boys in the water. I repeat, we are flying over hundreds <laughs> of boys in the water. And I know that that's just like a of the era possibly way to say that, but just the word boys is just so weird. The movie is men of courage, you know? Like, these are men who gave their lives. And just to call them boys, and I like call them boys multiple times, I was like, this is just like a weird way of talking. Hey, look, this is Gambler 17. We are flying over hundreds of boys in the water. I repeat, we are flying over hundreds of boys in the water. It sounds like the diction out of weird Twitter or clickhole or something like that. I mean, I agree, but I think that's just like 40s I, I know slang, that, but still. You know, but, it is stri- but it is weird. It is very weird. And well, I, I, th- I think it's, uh, in some ways they were actually bending over backwards to do things period correct. For example, that guilty verdict. That they could have just movie magic and said, we find you guilty on this charge. Yes. They, they, go, away, they go out of their way to, to do it in the weird way that not everyone's familiar with and then put a line explaining it. In some ways, maybe, maybe they should have just, you know, not yeah. done the correct thing. There's an even better line, though, Zach. I want you to say it because this is a line that you said to me and that I almost didn't catch because it's so understated, even though, ooh, it's wonderful. The boys have been drinking, and they've gotten caught drinking. And this is when they're en route to, like, drop oh. off the bomb, right? <laughs> I know what you're going to say. And, yeah, I guess in the in the tussle of them being found <laughs> out, they drop, they drop the drinks, and it's all over the deck. And the officer says, swab up that giggle water. Attention on deck! Signalman! Where did you get that alcohol? It's actually mine. Is that so? And the liquor on his breath? Is that yours too? Swab up that giggle water. But he says it in like barely above like a hushed whisper. And I think Zach, you said that like it's because he's like so embarrassed that he has to say that line that it's such a weird thing to say and such a weird everything about it is weird. Like there's no there's no other word for it. Swab. I mean swab is correct navy term, but Yep. Why didn't he just call it hooch or, or something? Hooch. Like, Why didn't is... they indeed? Giggle water. I mean Giggle water. That was that was bad. Oh my god, but yeah, the, 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 so many weird things it just felt like it was written by ESL. I've, written, I've written down, yes sir, look at the needles, they're moving. He's trying to show Cage that he's sending out an SOS. They're like in the middle of the, the ship sinking. Uh, he's like, did you send out that SOS? And his response is, yes sir, look at the needles, they're moving. <laughs> you should just, yes, yes is fine. Uh, yep. Yes, I have sent the SOS, we're good. Speaking of period accurate stuff, did you guys catch the spam? That Cage was oh. handing out to everyone. I just loved Cage saying that spam. I, isn't it? Wasn't yeah? Spam was back then, wasn't it? I mean, people don't I'm eat it sure. now anymore, really. But like, I, I was a couple like, oh, years ago. Did you really? I, I know yep. you can still get it. People stock their survival shelters with it, I'm sure, and stuff. But to me, spam just represents like kind of this back in war times, just that canned ham kind of stuff. I just thought that was funny. I was like, wow, spam. You're not going to see spam in Snowden. You know what I'm saying? Like, That's you're going to see it in Men of Courage. There are slow ways. 
It's been two days at sea, and no sign of rescue. I fear I have let the men down. I try to find little things to give them hope. Even that is in short supply. How specialty. It falls into the category of kind of forced humor, I feel like, in terms of, uh, like, let's make fun of spam. It's not palatable, but we're hungry, so haha, it's, it's, it's food now. It's like their last resources is just crappy spam. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, and, they're, and they say something like, it's the best thing I've ever had, you know, better than a two-inch steak. Man, they couldn't even do, like, the I'm imagining I'm eating something delicious that I'm not seeing <laughs> oh, correctly. Like, what the heck? Like, that is great. so token <laughs> shipwreck <laughs> stuff, but they're lifeboat. Really, they're really half-assed. They half-assed, half-assing it. What's all I have to say about this movie? Zach, do you have any other notes that you took that you wanted to make sure we covered about USS Indianapolis Men of Courage? Yeah, I actually had this one scene in the early-ish part of the movie that I th- I feel like this could be you know, an actual discussion. How do you feel about that whole sequence where it looks like they're about to get into a big battle with the Japanese and it's oh. actually they're just an ocean apart just practicing shit? Oh, no, I they attack that. a merchant ship, right? Is they attack a merchant... The Japanese attack a merchant ship and, and, the, and the Indianapolis is running drills. They don't find out until after they've all fired their munitions that they were not in the same place. There's that scene, and then doesn't a plane crash into a battleship really early in the movie, too? Oh, well, that was, like, the first. The, that, that was just showing where the ship was coming from. Like, the battle they were in before okay. they decided... Like, to show that this is a strong ship. It can, they could beat them. All right. Yeah, but there was this other one that was deliberate misdirection, trying to make you think they were in this heated battle end of a dream sequence haha they were actually just doing drills haha the japanese were just shooting down emergency yeah i feel like i don't know because the whole like the recurring line that cage has is that you can't hit or you can't dodge what you can't see that like they're the unknown threats and i feel like that i don't know if that helps that cause or hurts that cause like i don't know if the fact that they're on the attack like that we see them a couple times before they actually attack the ship it means like makes it more effective in terms of storytelling or makes it like more just obvious and more sort of tell instead of show i, I don't you know what i mean i don't know oh and what about the japanese captain's uh, ghost master he never came back <laughs> and like gave him a high five after he pardoned cage or whatever yeah that was strange that was odd yeah i i actually though i did not i was angry after that misdirection battle sequence because especially because at the end of the movie the japanese guy was like we should have had you on the way there like i should have got you it's like he thought that was that merchant ship did he think that was cage going and then they were like we'll get him on the way back and then they nail the real uss indianapolis yeah. on the way back like it just made it even more confusing for me uh on top of just the misdirect because they referenced it it was strange they just don't know oh and they, they said he was cursed Right, like they said the ship was cursed. He's like, no, it's me. I'm cursed. And they never came back to that. Yeah, the one thing I wish they did more of, too, was say, like, didn't he say the Japanese sub tried to warn the Americans that their men were dying in the ocean? Like, they had the honor to actually call in, like, we blew up one of your ships. Like, you should go check out, like, your guys. But then the Americans obviously thought that it was just, like, a trap or something. I would have liked to have seen a little more going on on the Japanese sub, believe it or not. Yeah, I have a few more notes here. Sizemore's, one of his opening lines is, it's going to take two surgeons six hours to get my size 10 boot out of your ass if you don't get a move on. Uh, He says this to somebody who seems to be working plenty hard. Do you think it's uh, that line was written as foreshadowing to the fact that his size 10 boot becomes... (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Absolutely. Old. That is, it just reeks of foreshadowing. <laughs> That's pretty wonderful. <laughs> Great. 
Great catch. Uh, and, oh, uh, it's a delight. And then the line, okay, even the dialogue from from the actual people after the movie was weird. One of the guys, he just, he just says, I will never like sharks. I think they're horrible. And I just, like, it just seems like the most no shit, like, like who's trying to make you, who's trying to make you like sharks? Like I just like I why don't even you like get sharks, the, man? I never, yeah, I would never, never like get them. on a boat after that if that happened to me or like in the yeah. water. Like I hate yeah, yeah. boats. I hate sharks. Said, like, anything yeah. to do with that? If you had said I would never get on a boat again, like that might be like a little bit more. True. I will never like sharks. I mean, stop trying to make me like sharks. I think they're horrible. Like it was just like I, it just felt so forced, even though it was an actual person saying an actual thing. Well, those are excellent things. I'm glad we, glad you brought up. All right, Captain Sandwich. The guy telling him not to do the rescue, eating a sandwich while he talks. <laughs> Mike, do you have any last thoughts that we didn't... Uh, so I got one last somewhat cage action, actually. I was just, you Ooh. know... Oh, I think I might have more of cage... those, too, possibly. But go ahead. Yeah, my cage action, my main one, aside from, like, the actors, like Remar, and, you know, aside from the Cotton Club connection, crazy ending to a movie. Like, we get photo finish so like we'll see some of the real guys and then the actors who portrayed them and for some reason we'll see like who thomas jane played even though he just shows up for like three minutes yeah so we get like here are the real guys here are the fake guys and then after that we get here are really the real guys that are still alive and we get like those testimonials from those two old dudes talking about you know we were there and everything so yeah this was just another one of those weird endings to a cage movie that just kept going that's true i didn't really think about that uh in terms of other cage connections we talked about the cotton club connections thomas jane is back from face off oh yeah tom sizemore is back from bringing out the dead yes i think that's it i i I went as thorough as i could in terms of who's been in other stuff with him and there's a lot. I mean, I think that that goes to show that, like, if you're not somebody that we knew coming into this movie, you probably haven't done anything <laughs> that we've seen. Like, unless you're one of these like three guys, like you're just a nobody. Like, yeah, just, and not like in a bad way, just like in a. Right. I get the sense that one of the young guys was Mario Van Peebles' son, perhaps, because one of them had a scene with Cage, and he was actually, I was like, he, I think he was the guy writing the book. I'm not positive, though, but I was like, this is the one guy out of everybody that I'm actually kind of getting an idea about, because like, he's a writer, and he, you actually, I don't know, he's like, talking to, he's got like, actually a scene with the captain, so it's like, maybe he's supposed to be important or something. Um, I just wish that there was someone else to sort of latch on to in this movie, but it was great to see Cage. It was great to see Cage. We will see Cage again. The Blu-ray for Army of One comes out November 15th. So that's only like two or three weeks away. That's not very far. And then the Blu-ray for Dog Eat Dog comes out December 27th. Uh, Snowden should be out soon-ish, maybe? I don't know. But there's at least two more Cage Clubs coming either this year or very, very early next year. Even though it wasn't a movie that any of us liked, it was good to see him back on screen again. So great to see him there. Great to have Zach back. Uh, you know, Cage has got like 15 movies in the works <laughs> or so, and I don't think Zach's on any of those episodes, so you'll see Zach again oh. on Keanu Club uh, at some point. Uh, but Zach will be back. Zach Attack will be back. You better have me back. We, you'll, you'll be back. Don't worry about it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. For all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see all the episodes that we've done. This is episode 81, so there's 80 other episodes that you could listen to us talk about Cage. There's also Keanu Club, Monkey Club, Zack Attack, Now and Again, and a new show coming in just like two weeks from now that I really got to get started on editing. Go there, listen to all those things, enjoy yourself. Thank you for listening. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. And that's Zach Zahn, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club.